Hi, from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by libertarian Eric Cohn, Democrat Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez, economist Mike Miller from DePaul University, and conservative talk show host Stephanie Trussell. Our program tonight coming to you from our own base at the Radio Hall of Fame, Paul and Angel Harvey Studios in downtown Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Mike Miller, you are once upon a time... You did not like Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You did not vote for Donald did Trump. Not. Now you are, I think, an enthusiastic. You you can't I, wait to vote for him. Yes. But how important were the two articles of impeachment uh, leveled against him last week by the House? Uh, in your opinion, how badly does that hurt him or does it help him? It. I don't believe it hurts him. It doesn't help him. I thought they were the weakest possible thing, given everything that was promised by the uh, Democrats. And I don't know as much about the law being an economist, so I listen to people that I trust, like Alan Dershowitz, and he's made it perfectly clear what they're doing is essentially unconstitutional, involving two uh, articles which are nonsense. Eric Cohn also joins us. You're our card-carrying libertarian. Um, What do you think of the articles of impeachment? You're not a big fan of the president. I'm not a big fan of the president. I think the what the president did is on its face impeachable, but impeachment is a political question. And the problem for the Democrats is they were saying basically from the moment that Trump was elected that they wanted to impeach him. So this has been a mission in search of a rationale for the entire time. And I still think they picked a weak rationale. It's not that what he did is not impeachable. It absolutely is in my book. But emoluments clause, um, you know, his... Uh, certain foreign policy actions that I don't think that I think are, that are unsanctioned by Congress. There are many other stronger things they could have gone after. This was a weak hand. Stephanie Trestle, conservative talk show host, welcome to Beyond the Beltway. You, uh, we have been on the same stations many times in the past. <laughs> nice to have you with us this evening. My uh, for those on radio, you're wearing your Trump 2020 uh, lapel pin. Um, how badly, or do you think badly at all, that this is going to affect the president? Well, I don't think I agree with Mike. It's not going to hurt him at all because all I've been hearing from the beginning is that he is so corrupt. He's the most corrupt. He's such a danger to our country and everything we stand for. And they put together these two weak charges that are so vague. And it just, it's Again, they've been trying to impeach him since he came down the escalator in 2015. And as a Trump su- supporter, it's only revving up the base. And, and I, we had a rally out here, even in deep blue Illinois last week, uh, yesterday, of a bunch of people supporting the president saying, you know, I know what they're doing, but we support you as as voters. And I think um, this is going to possibly help him in a lot of ways because people are going to say, you're trying to undo my vote. 63 million people selected him as president, not only attacking him, but I feel like they're attacking me. Ray Lopez, you are a Chicago. Alderman, you're also a ward committeeman of the 15th Ward in the city. Uh, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you yeah. with us. Uh, in the circles you travel, again, you're, you're, you're a Chicago politician, but you also represent your district or your ward. Is anybody talking about this issue? Is, is anybody riled up? You know, I, I think that's kind of like the problem. This impeachment has always been a, like an insider baseball kind of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's fascinating for politicians, pundits, right. politicos, but for everyday Americans on on their streets who are trying to figure out how they're going to provide for their children, how they're going to put their kids in college, how they're going to take care of their grandparents, 
this is all nonsensical. It's, it's a waste of time as the American people see it. Now, I agree that the offenses of the president were impeachable. I think they should have been – the Democrats should have explained more, should have added more, and used it as a learning tool to explain their case and not just make two very vague arguments for impeachment. But when it comes down to it, you know, that this impeachment, the articles, the hearings – only fascinate about 20% of the American people, while 80% are just trying to get by and hoping that someone, anyone, will finally talk about their future and the future of this Do country. Do you not believe that Nancy Pelosi understands that? Does she just not? She's a pretty sharp politician, but does she just not get that? I think most politicians nowadays, particularly at the federal level, have become so enamored with trying to pivot to the extremes that they forgot forgotten that the center is where most of America is and where we've had the best times in this country. And as we try to pivot towards the to the far right and far left to try and gain the best headline in this era of 24-hour news and social media nonsense, that we're losing sight in a political sense of how to make the case moving forward. Mike, does the president make a mistake if he tries to continue to dismiss? I mean, he said, uh, you know, in Battle Creek the other night, he doesn't even feel like he's been impeached. Does he hurt his cause if he continues to dismiss the charges? I wish he would show a little bit of of seriousness regarding it. But, of course, we get into into the weeds. Uh, There's very smart people uh, from Harvard Law who argue he hasn't even been impeached yet because the articles have not been forwarded to the Senate. Uh, when Clinton was impeached, even though it was several weeks before they showed up on the Senate, they they sent the articles over to the Senate that same day at three o'clock in the afternoon of the same day. So I, I wish he would. You know, that was always the problem. There's there's no filter between his brain and his mouth. And I always said that that plus his trade policy is why I didn't like him in, in 16. I've almost grown to. I have so much fun when he has these uh, these get-togethers with with tens of thousands of people, and it just it, it's it's fun to watch. But once in a while, a little more serious would be good. Uh, Eric, you you have some concerns about some of the Harvard Law professors that are speaking yeah. out about this. I mean, colored me shocked that a uh, professor of law at Harvard can contrive a reason like that that this is not actually impeachment. The other side of it, so you have Dershowitz on one side, and then you have Lawrence Tribe on the other side who is floating and has gotten some people to adopt. What I think this is just a preposterous argument, that they should hold the articles of impeachment, not forward them on, until they can get Mitch McConnell to agree during the trial in the Senate to do all the things that the Democrats could have done in the impeachment process in the House but chose not to do, like calling certain witnesses. If they wanted to hear from John Bolton, if they wanted to hear from Mick Mulvaney, they could have subpoenaed them, they could have tried to bring them in, they may have had to go to court to make it happen, but they chose not to do that. The other problem with this theory is there's no leverage there. Mitch McConnell doesn't want to have a trial. They don't want to have to sit through this. They would rather not deal with it. They'd rather he was never impeached. So threatening, it's like Nancy Pelosi in adopting this has a grenade. She's pulled the pin on it and swallowed it and now said, I'll use this thing. (laughs) And Mitch McConnell's got to be looking and going, go ahead. You know, everyone that I heard uh, trying to analyze this on, on the national shows today basically said they couldn't quite – Terry Moran said, I, I can't quite figure out what the, what's on the speaker's mind. But they all said – prefaced it by saying that she's one of the smartest people that, that, that's in, in Washington. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering is given the timing of it, she basically – she's holding the ball. 
had she turned the ball over on Monday of this week? I mean, everyone knew that everybody was getting out of there, what, Wednesday or Thursday. I mean, we're in a two-week recess. So why should she have turned it over when she turned it over in in an expeditious way? It argues against her argument by saying how important it was to deal with it in the House. But the point is, nothing's going to happen for the next two weeks anyway, Stephanie. So She's still, everybody's wondering about, uh, the president is still having an uneasy Christmas because of it. She was on record saying in the beginning of the year that, you know, impeachment, it's something that we'd have to get both parties on. It's something that she was against. There was no way. And it seems like she gave in to that faction of her um, party that we have to have him impeached. This is such a waste of time. And it's, it's, I'm shocked at how many people honestly think because he was impeached that he's leaving office. They're not even aware of how this works. Well, that's because cable television could take a moment and stop analyzing themselves and <laughs> explain to the American people uh, how it all works. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Back shortly from Chicago. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. Okay. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us from coast to coast and border to border. Hopefully your holiday, your pre-holiday season is going very, very well. Uh, Mike Miller, I want to come back to you because we were talking about uh, is there is there any way that the president can take impeachment a little more seriously? Mm-hmm. And I, I want to talk about what he had to say the other night. In uh, at Battle Creek, he was he was roaring. He was there on the day that obviously uh, uh, simultaneously to the the House, uh, you know, casting its votes uh, in impeachment against him. Uh, but at some point uh, in in the debate uh, with the people, not the debate, the uh, I guess diatribe with his audience, he got wound up in discussing uh, late Congressman Dingle. John Dingell. Let's take a listen to what the president had to say, and then I have a question about it. She calls me up. It's the nicest thing that's ever happened. Thank you so much. John would be so thrilled. He's looking down, he'd be so thrilled. Thank you so much, sir. I said, that's okay, don't worry about it. Maybe he's looking up, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Um, I want to ask Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie, um, when you heard that, what did you think? Instantly. Well, people can wait to challenge me and, and post it in on my page. What do you have to say about this? Well, obviously, I love the fact that Trump tweets and he's vocal and he's out there bringing a message. And, and sometimes when he goes off script, it's a good thing. And other times like this, I would prefer that he not said what he said. I mean, it's just a very I know that they had beef. He and the, and the, um, the late um, 
representative, but it, it wasn't, you know, maybe I can't say he just got caught up in a moment. He has to be more careful with in incidents like that. It's a little bit harder to defend him, but I'm still unapologetically for the president. But yeah, that was a tough one. I, I want to go into the issue of, well, I want to I get the Democrats' response to it mm-hmm. or the libertarians, first mm-hmm. of all. <laughs> uh, you, I mean, you're not surprised by it. No, it's like it's, this is the story of the scorpion and the frog. Why is the frog surprised that the scorpion stung him? It's in his nature. Yep. This is what Trump does. This is always what Trump does, talking about Megyn Kelly during the debate and blood coming out of her, whatever. We shouldn't be shocked by it at this point, but I think the disappointing thing continues to be, and I credit Stephanie for what she said there, um, so many people who will not utter a word of criticism about any of the disgusting things that the guy does, uh, that they will not criticize him. Uh, too few people are willing who are supporters and who are Republicans, Republicans on the side in this case are willing have. to do it. Republican and, reps and, have. And, yeah. and good for them in this case. Uh, but it has been few and far between. Right? I mean, just listening to that, the guy's a prick. I mean, oh just, my gosh. Just, I mean you, how do you talk about somebody like that? And you've, you know, it. There you go. It, it, I'll no, say I get your point. This goes to the, the point that you say, you know, Dingle the, this, said some this pretty nasty things about, about Trump. About yeah. Trump. But and and uh, how many times has he been called Hitler? And, yes. And despicable. All, all these. Uh, how many times did Dingle put kids I'm not in cages? To use what aboutism? Oh, oh, oh. It's just but, that you. If, if he's a man, and everybody knows this. If you punch him, he will punch yes. back twice as hard. And so that's the dead just guy punched his, him. He's the scorpion. <laughs> that's his nature. But here's the thing that I think maybe, and again, I'm not going to get you know overexercised about it because whenever anybody, including myself, have gotten overexercised about something that he has said, and people have tended to write him off, he always comes back. Mm-hmm. But all I'm saying and is that in this particular case, here, here's the here's the landscape that I see. Okay. Donald Trump, I believe, like Nancy Pelosi, is very smart. He's no dummy. He knows there's four states, including Michigan, Mm -hmm. where he's got to win. And if he doesn't win, he's out the door. Mm -hmm. So Michigan is a key state. So one of the most popular congressmen in the history of that state dies. The Dingles are beloved in the state of Michigan. There's a partisan thing to, you know, with a lot of Republicans. Mm Mm-hmm. But a lot of Republicans like the Dingles because when they needed something done in Washington, they had the power or Mr. John Dingle had the power and sometimes they would have to go to him. So you're picking on the most one of the most popular uh, politicians in the history of the state in a state where changing 10,000 votes was the difference between Hillary winning the state and Donald Trump winning the state. Now, to me, again, if he is allegedly a smart guy, I think this was very stupid. Oh, yeah. It's his, it's his, his mouth is going to send him potential, potentially to oblivion. Maybe this case doesn't do it, but I'm thinking, especially if he has a problem with women or suburban women, why does why does he pick on the widow of a congressman who then went on television? And Debbie Dingle was on television today. She was on with yeah, Fox. Mm-hmm. She was on Fox News today. Mm-hmm. The Dingle family, by the way, they're longtime friends of Chris Wallace. I mean, anyone that's covered Washington knows the Dingles were a very popular couple. He's made this widow a. This this is this is like when he attacked the uh, the Gold Star families at 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 the convention. He's taking a beloved figure 
and making it very difficult to be likable or to be, as you sta- stated, uh, the, the, you, you use it, I won't, the P word. I mean, and everybody, I think, th- these hearings are proving that, you know, he may be, you may love his politics, but in, in the end, some people think he's a real yeah, and I, and I think, Bruce, that's the problem with without having a filter is that he becomes his own worst enemy. And then when no one stops you and no one criticizes you or holds you accountable for when you go off script, you think you can just always go off script. And you're going to make the mistakes where you pick the wrong battle, as you did in Michigan, and alienate a whole set of voters that you hope to win and that you might have just put in the other column. I, you, you make an excellent point, and I wish there were a filter between his mind, his, his brain, and his mouth. And there is not to this day. But keep in mind, there have been politicians who have done lots of things that supporters have always looked the other way. And the prime example is, is Bill Clinton and his treatment of women. Mm-hmm. He apparently was – what he think – everything he did to Paula Jones and, and Kathleen, Kathleen Willey – and you just go on down the line. Yeah. And the Democrats absolutely stood be, be, behind him. And went after the women who made the accusations, and they were sound. And, and so it, it, this, this idea that Republicans are not about to change their vote just because he says something really stupid is consistent with what happens on what the other the, side as well. I don't want to relitigate the, uh, the, no. the Clinton impeachment, but I, but I want to bring uh, another subject up, that members of the Senate, again, once the articles of impeachment ultimately get there, and I yes. think they will ultimately get there. Okay. Mm. What is it that – are there legitimate questions that Republican senators should be asking? In other words, the Democrats are saying now we want to have – we want to bring witnesses. Should witnesses be brought before a Senate trial, Stephanie? Well, they had their chance. They were in control. Nancy's in the House, no, and they, right. they had their whole opportunity to, to prove their case. They picked these two weak um, articles of impeachment. So now it's like we have to dance to her music in order for her th- for the game to continue. If you can't beat them, impeach them. It's just such a ridiculous – it's all about this historical on the third time. It's in this great he's impeached, and that's what they've been pounding. So I'm thinking, oh, so he's been impeached like Bill Clinton, so in a few years he'll be the darling of the Republican Party. Party, raising money, will his wife get to run for president? Because impeachment certainly didn't hurt Bill, Bill Clinton. Right. So I, I think, no, we need to do what we need to do. We're in control, and we're not going to dance to her, her music. But in, in the course of a Senate trial, why not hear from witnesses? But, but according to, but she wants them to, to tell her what they're going to do and, and give her. Okay, but the, I, that's, not, that's not but the point they that I'm making. Wanna... If they're actually going to have a trial and they're hmm. going to adjudicate the articles of impeachment that have been passed by the House against the president and they're supposed to sit in judgment, why not hear from people who actually would have firsthand knowledge of what happened? What is the harm in that? But what, is, what are the charges? Uh, it's so vague. So they're supposed to bring It was people... abuse of power. Okay. And the second one is obstruction of Congress. So that's like of me getting caught changing lanes, and they charge this me is, with we're dodging the power the, without, dodging the without giving here. me details. We are do- okay, so oh, okay. if you could, if you want a better explanation of mm-hmm. what the charges are, okay, then bring witnesses <clears throat> who can speak to exactly what transpired with the phone call and in relation to the phone call with Ukraine, and have them speak about it. That will help elucidate the situation. No, but let's look at it from perspective. Maybe one of you know better than I do because I, I kind of think of the Senate as a jury. And once you are presented with a case, you don't relitigate the case and call in witnesses into the jury room. You debate what you have before you, and you make a decision whether it's... it's I, I think that's incorrect, because if we're going to make the kind of trial analogy of all of this, what you have from the House of the Articles of Impeachment is effect, 
in effect, an indictment. So now he's been indicted, and now you have a trial, and that is actually what it is called in the Senate. Okay. A trial involves bringing, calling witnesses and hearing if testimony. If you decide to. If they could decide not to, but I'm not saying they don't have a right to not call them. I'm asking what is the harm in doing so, if, other than to say that you just don't want to hear. But you have a Republican-run Senate, and if we so feel, okay, the case has been made, you, don't ha- I mean, you have to prove that I'm guilty. I don't have to prove that I'm innocent. The, the, the Republicans then, but in a trial, can simply do and sit mute and do nothing. But they're which, not of course, supposed is what, to be there. What Trump tried to do, and they got him for obstruction of Congress in going to the courts, which he is absolutely allowed to do. That's as why President Dershowitz said it's preposterous. Did the president make a mistake when he said several weeks ago? That he wanted, he wanted these people to testify. He wants, he wanted Bolton. He he wanted yeah. Mulvaney to testify. He even Back said, to the lack "I of may even, I may even Back of a filter testify." Yeah. I mean, I think his mistake was to say he wanted an open process that was. Video, you know, with all his witnesses, and then he pulled back immediately when that opportunity yeah. arrived. Um, but well, it's I, like but the a question—it's like it's like a grand jury, though. I mean, yeah. the House is like the grand jury. Right. Now, here's the a question that I don't know the answer to. I should know. Are you an attorney, yet, Ray? No. Okay. So we have no attorneys at the table. Thank God. My oh, question. Good day. A wonder we're getting along so well. Yeah. Uh, but again, I'm sure we have attorneys listening. If if a case is brought and a trial is ongoing. If there's new information that is discovered after the trial starts, and it could it could make it it could be exculpatory, or it could be more damaging to the the person charged, is that new testimony is that new evidence admissible in the trial? That's my question. If we have a criminal lawyer listening to the program this evening, one eight hundred seven two three eighty two eighty nine. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers... Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. So no pot. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us tonight from coast to coast and border to border. We have four great guests, and we're going to let them introduce themselves. And we begin with Alderman Ray Lopez. Bruce, to you and your listeners, I'm Raymond Lopez. Represent uh, Chicago's 15th Ward on the southwest side of the city. Elected two terms there as well as in my going for my third term as a member of the Cook County Democratic Party. So very familiar with picking candidates and representing the party's values. And a large uh, a large Hispanic population in uh, your ward? Hispanic and African-American almost equally. So Okay. And at this particular moment, do you have a candidate of choice uh, in the Democratic primary? As of, as of right now, I have no, no preference for a Democratic candidate. 
Mike Miller. I'm an economist at the Paul University. I got my PhD, University of Pittsburgh, in 1980, and I've had one job for the, for the past 39 years. Wow. It's been a great place to work. I uh, teach in macroeconomics, uh, economic policy, and teach MBAs and undergrads. It's the greatest thrill of my life to walk into the classroom and, and, and probe into those young minds to try to get them to understand an economic way of thinking. And a great Blackhawks fan. A big Blackhawks oh, okay. fan. But I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I'm still a, a Penguin fan. So. <laughs> Eric Cohen. Eric? Along with Joe Kaiser, I uh, host Sources with Knowledge on News Talk 560, The Answer, here in Chicago, uh, 3 p.m. on Sunday, if you want to tune in. And if you're in the Chicago area and you want to tune in to Chicago's Morning Answer tomorrow, Joe and I are hosting for Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson. Uh, my day job, I work in uh, marketing. Uh, I've been with the Illinois Policy Institute for a number of years, and thrilled to be back. Right, and also we should mention that uh, you're going to be sitting in for uh, for Dan Proft tomorrow morning. Yep. Uh, but our good friend uh, Dan Proft uh, is going to be on national radio. If you're uh, if you're a Salem radio station, and we have a lot of Salem stations that carry this broadcast, he is going to be do, doing the new nine to midnight show Central Time, starting after the first of the year. And again, uh, for those in Chicago. Uh, of a conservative bent, uh, Dan Proft has been a, a very popular figure, both politically and on the air. And again, we're going to share him nationally. He was a regular on this panel for about five or six years. But again, he'll have his own show three hours, Monday through Friday, on the Salem Radio Network. And when he sleeps, I have no idea. That's right. Yeah, and, that's and, and he's, that out. This yeah. is the other thing. It, it's a, He's going to continue to do the morning show. 5 a.m. Yes. show. He's going to come 9 back to midnight and, and back at 5 to 9. That's so what do we think? Two or three weeks? What do you think that was? <laughs> <laughs> at some point, he's going to want to do it from his house. Stephanie uh, Trussell also joins us. Speaking of talk show hosts, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, Stephanie. Well, I'm a suburban housewife, mother of five grand... I have two grandchildren. That's what I I love to talk about, even more than politics. I For seven years, I was on WLS. I hosted my own show, uh, mostly on Sunday nights, and I would listen to... This was part of my show prep, listening to you on my way as I drove downtown. Um, After seven years, they went with uh, football on Saturdays at WLS, and I was so fortunate that WIND gave me a call, and I've been a fill-in host on the afternoon show since um, the first week of September. I'll be on the 27th, the 30th and 31st of and so I'm having a lot of fun just filling in and for those around the country uh, you got your start because you you won a <laughs> yeah. contest like American is, Idol literally you, I'm you know, like I, a yeah, talk I radio American that. Idol I do remember I've been that. around in my minivan I'd been a big um, I was a liberal living in Rogers Park I didn't know any better we bought a car that didn't have I, I was unemployed Democrat <laughs> we bought a car that didn't have an FM radio and my husband never got around to putting an AM radio I found WLS and suddenly I started listening, and then um, it hit me that I wasn't a Democrat. I was a Republican. So one day I'm listening to my favorite station, and they said, are you the next talk star? Very first time they're offering this contest. And I entered it. Over 100 people won. And I I was only guaranteed a trip to Mexico, a one, two-hour show, and a limo ride to and from the station. And that was seven years ago, and it led to me uh, filling in. And then I got my own show, and I just— A star is born. I moved to Arizona. They let me do my show for two years out of my closet. And now you're on Beyond the Beltway. Yes. Oh, this is an honor for me. Dream come true. I think I made it it to the big time. Thank you for having me. Uh, Also, by the way, we should mention, if uh, if you've not uh, called in yet, the phone number is one 800 
723-8289. And also, we have a new email address. It is beyondthebeltway at gmail.com. Just no numbers, just beyondthebeltway at gmail.com. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo at D-U-M-O. Of course, we're on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com. And again, if you ever miss a show, it's always there. And of course, we are live on Facebook Live, and also we're live on YouTube. And again, as you've heard me say for the last several weeks, uh, if you have not yet gone to our GoFundMe campaign, this helps uh, defray some of the costs, the satellite delivery of this program. You can go there. We're uh, about $3,000 away from our goal for this year. But again, the GoFundMe campaign, if you'll do that as part of your December or holiday gift giving, I would appreciate it. It keeps this uh, voice and uh, these variety of voices coming to you each and every Sunday night on this station that you're listening to or on uh, YouTube as well. So GoFundMe.com and look up BeyondTheBeltway.com, Beyond the Beltway, and you'll find us. And whatever you can do, we would appreciate it. Uh, the Democrats had a debate the other night. Uh, it was on PBS. I thought it was the best debate of the whole season. I don't know whether it was just because there were fewer people there, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of substance, and maybe there was substance because there were fewer people there. And you, you've, not, uh, you've not chosen a candidate, Ray, uh, as a ward committeeman in Chicago, which means the, the organization has not, the, the Cook County Democratic Party has not. Is there, is there someone that has a, is a favorite? Can you tell, take us a little inside some of the, the, the backroom discussions uh, with the Cook County Democratic Party? Well, the, the party as a whole hasn't gotten involved in the, uh, demo, in the primary process of picking a, a president as of yet. Uh, but I can tell you that among the other 70, 80 committeemen that are out there, you know, there are some that are committed to Bernie Sanders. There are some that are committed uh, even to working now with Michael Bloomberg or, or Joe, Vice President Joe Biden. Um, but I think that... You know, Who wants to work with Bloomberg? <laughs> Can you say? I, I'm not, I won't say, but I will say <laughs> that uh, his checkbook is influencing a lot of people. Oh, I bet. <laughs> wow. yeah. uh, I Chicago Alderman being affected by that, it's hard to believe. <laughs> Shocking, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, but, but, you know, what we're seeing is that all this discussion and the fluidity of these candidates um, is really not energizing people the way that I, I would have hoped. Even when I, last time I was here, I said, you're not seeing mm -hmm. that gravitas towards anyone in particular. Um, and especially now as we see like Elizabeth Warren becoming more uh, petty and bitter with some of her arguments against Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden looking like he's lost half the time with some of his comments. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure how well even someone like uh, Mike Bloomberg, who will come off as like a billionaire uh De uh, Democrat uh, rolling in with you know flashy adver advertisements, um, how that's going to resonate with everyday people. And I think until we start focusing on our true core, our true core base, which is um, in particular uh, the African American community who has always stood by with the Democratic Party, if you're not focusing on the issues that directly relate to our core constituencies, all of this is going to lead to an uninspiring nominee who will have to face Donald Trump in November uh, with a base that's already revved up and ready to go. Did I hear you say that the Cook County Democratic Party might move to an open primary where, where they would not endorse a individual candidate? I don't think that there are plans for them to meet before the primary. So I don't know if they will even be okay. together in time to make a, an endorsement. Eric, does that surprise you? 
Um, I can't say it surprised me that the party itself decides to stay out of a large and contentious primary. Uh, going back to the debate, I thought one of the things that stood out to me is I remember when this debate was announced. There were a lot of people, um, particularly Democrats, upset that Tim Alberta was going to be one of the people asking questions on the panel, um, in part because he used to write for National Review, God forbid. Oh, gosh. He was... Polit- political. He political was now. He wrote a fantastic book uh, called American Carnage about kind of the rise of Trump and his influence uh, since he's gotten to Washington. It's recommended reading. If you have someone, you know, if you still need a last-minute Christmas gift and you know someone oh. who's into politics, get them a copy of okay. Tim Alberta's book. But I thought he asked more interesting and substantive questions than pretty much anybody else who has been a questioner in one of these debates. And I think we're, we would be better served by having more people like Tim Alberta asking questions in these debates. I agree. And the, the only criticism that I would make, as I said, I think it was the, the best debate by far. Uh, I wish that one of the interrogators would have asked about uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, because uh, a lot of people want to know about it. It is without question going to be an issue in the general election. But in 2016, no journalist ever asked a question about Hillary's emails. They all wanted to avoid it. Uh, even Bernie Sanders says, hell, I'm tired of your email already. Mm-hmm. But the point is, that became a, that's, <clears throat> that, that's still etched in people's minds. And, and for a journalist not to pro, propose that, I understand why uh, a Democrat doesn't want to bring it up because they don't want to be perceived as, as picking on a Republican talking point. But I think this is beyond a Republican talking point. You know, the other thing that came across is, um, speaking now as an economist, is I was just astounded by the responses regarding the American economy and the prescriptions that uh, some of these people have. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is absolutely convinced that you can raise taxes and economic growth will rise. There is not a single piece of literature in the economic discipline that argues that, that Joe Biden is prepared to destroy the jobs of up hundreds of thousands of Americans yeah. to become green. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Sanders wants to be a socialist. I mean, you just go He's down the list and it just... And that, by the way, that, that plan flew over everybody's head. Mm-hmm. Nobody brought it up in, in, in analysis at, at all. But yeah. to me, it, it was similar to what Hillary said about West Virginia the last time around when she said, well, those cold jobs are just going away. Yeah, I, I mean, she took a lot of flack for that, but it, Joe it just, did not. It's, it's in, I guess it's incomprehensible that they have gone, and you mentioned, Ray, that they've gone so far left. They really it, have moved. I left the Democratic Party. I, I grew up in Pittsburgh where everybody was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And I came here as a Democrat, and I moved. I, I left because the, the party left me. It went further away than I wanted to be. And now there are people I talk to that just can't understand what, what is going on. They argued that the American economy is a mess. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. We have to pause, and when we come back, uh, we have a lawyer who has the answer to our question. Hmm. So uh, the clock is running on the lawyer, so we'll be to him shortly. Don't go away. <laughs> a new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. 
For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theatre's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at GoodmanTheater.org. Stumont, back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. You know, one of the great things, and you've heard me say this, one of the great things about being on the radio is, is sometimes you, you forget, you know, that your voice and the, the voices of our guests are going, you know, all over the country. And now that we're on the Internet, I mean, it's going all over the world, beyond the Bellway, YouTube, but everything else, Facebook. I just got a, uh, I got a, a max message here. This is from Jeff, who normally listens to this program uh, in Palm Springs, California. He says, hi, Bruce, watching your show on YouTube from beautiful Santiago, Chile. Oh, wow. wow. Well, hello. I'm sure it's hey. nice and warm there. Yeah. The other, yeah, the other really. question I'm we jealous. asked was, uh, we asked if there was a lawyer in the audience. We have one. Uh, Tim listening to us on uh, in, in San Diego on POTUS uh, Sirius Radio, uh, XM Radio. Uh, Tim, the question that we asked, which, uh, uh, are, you a, are you a criminal lawyer? What type of lawyer are you? I've been a trial lawyer for over 21 years. I've been on both the prosecution side and the defense side. Okay, good. The question that the, uh, for the audience that maybe you could answer, and the question is, once a trial starts, can either the defense or uh, the prosecution bring in new evidence, new testimony, or is that against the law? Well, it, you know, both sides are supposed to have a sense of what the other is going to bring uh, as far as evidence prior to trial, and that's true for both a criminal and a civil case. Okay. As far as new evidence coming up, that does happen sometimes where it's completely uh, one side or the other wasn't aware of it, and usually it comes down to an analysis by the judge as to whether the side or the proponent that wants to bring that evidence had a reason to know or should have known of this evidence beforehand because there's obviously going to be a disadvantage to the parties by not having advance notice of the testimony or whatever evidence you want to bring. So that's usually the analysis that goes by whatever trial judge is presiding. On this debate as to whether or not uh, three or four new witnesses should be called so that the members of the Senate can make an informed verdict, come to an informed verdict, where do you come down as an attorney? What, what's... What side are you on on this debate? You know, I, it, it's difficult because I don't know how close I can analogize an impeachment trial to a courtroom trial. Uh, if I were to analogize this to a criminal case, uh, I, as long as that the other side is on notice that I want to call a witness, and if I haven't talked to those witnesses but I put them on notice that I want to call the witness, then there's no objection available to my calling them other than a relevancy. You have to say, what are they going to say? Or what do you expect them to say? And if they're going to provide relevant testimony that you expect, they're relevant witnesses, and if both sides are aware that these people exist, it's pretty hard to argue that they shouldn't be allowed to testify. In the court of public opinion, which is where this trial is being fought, um, the Democrats strongly make the case, what has the president got to hide? Why doesn't he just let his people come in 
tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and they will allegedly be satisfied with that, although I don't believe that, <laughs> but that's what they say, because they, uh, because they want to help their Republican colleagues make a smarter decision. Do you buy any of that? You know, in a criminal case, the accused has to or has the right to rely on the prosecution to prove their case. They don't have to prove their innocence. But this is a political trial. And I think it would be in the American people's interest answered. to hear as much information as possible. And so personally, I'd like to hear from as many relevant witnesses as I can to make my own decision. Ray Lopez. I, I think that uh, the caller's point is very, very well made, that this isn't a criminal trial. It's an impeachment trial. And to Mike's point earlier, impeachment trial is simply an exercise in political muscle. And there's no guarantee that there's any going to that there's going to be any kind of due process other than whatever the Senate Republicans want to move forward with. And I think that, you know, what we've seen from all of this is especially as uh, the Speaker Pelosi withholds, withholds the articles and doesn't deliver them to the Senate is that, you know, we're all playing politics right now. This isn't about fairness. It's not about justice. It's not getting to the truth um, because if it was – you present your managers, present your articles, and move forward, and let's mm -hmm. get this over with. Uh, even give them a list of potential witnesses and let them decide and make their judgment call. Uh, but we're not getting to that point. And I think that you know we like trying to pretend that it's based on criminal trial laws and procedure, but that's nowhere near the case as we're seeing. Stephanie, are you worried that the the fairness issue? Because I think the the, the Republicans have made a good case about the fairness. I and mean, the president, his whole argument in the court of public opinion is that, listen, I've been bashed from day one. They've been trying to get me. You watch any newscast, there isn't, there isn't any positive newscast about anything that I've done, and yet I've accomplished a variety of things, at least in his opinion. So in, in my view, I think the general public probably thinks that Donald Trump is somewhat sympathetic, that he's getting beaten up, at least for 63 million people. They you, feel that way. You read my mind. The but rules are different. but the okay. question is, if, if he has people that he could send to trial that would help him, does it, doesn't he need a win in this case? And is there any doubt in your mind that, that he, he's got it locked in the U.S. Senate? Is there anybody that you think, is there any reason, is there anything that can be said that would that would pry a Republican senator away from President Trump right now. You know, from the beginning, he, he there's a different set of rules when it comes to Donald Trump. Um, the whole whistleblower, the first few witnesses in the House had never even been in the same room with this man. It's all about in innuendo, what I thought. And it, this whole thing is ridiculous. It's a new set of rules. If you can't impeach him, uh, I mean, if you can't beat him, impeach him. And and I don't think uh, that, um, I, I'm not worried about anybody going up against Donald Trump, because again, this has helped him with um, any of the senators turning code and stabbing him in the back. Because it's, look at how much money he's gaining from this. Look how many people are filling into these arenas to see him. The American people are, are upset that they're trying to undo 63 million votes. 65 million against him. Just thought I'd throw that out there. We've got to pause <laughs> no, the Democratic <laughs> point, <laughs> to which I've said doesn't mean anything, Alderman. You know that. I'm Bruce Dumont back shortly with another full hour of Beyond the Beltway. Don't go away.
about how much someone drinks. Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light. Noise and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors, people of every age and ethnicity, because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, in the last segment, we were talking about uh, whether or not there are any members of the United States Senate, Republican members of the United States Senate, uh, that may vote uh, to uh, uh, impeach or not to uh, find guilty uh, Donald Trump. And again, we haven't talked too much about whether there's Democrats that might flip over as well, but we'll do that in just a moment. But Eric, uh, the subject of uh, the U.S. Senate and uh, uh, its actions uh, has caught your ear. Yeah, so one of the things that the senators have to do is they take an oath because they sit essentially as a jury in this case. And their oath is to um, 
let's see, I have it here. Part of it is uh, to execute their duties with due diligence, which would mean actually listening to the evidence, listening to witnesses, not having prejudged the case, which is what I thought was interesting about Stephanie's comments of turncoat senators that are going to politically betray the president. That's not their role. Their role is to actually sit and listen to the evidence of it. Now, I can completely accept, and I imagine it might be the case that if I were serving in the U.S. Senate that I would not be persuaded that removal from office is the right thing to do in this case. But one, the idea that it's, you know, uh, anybody choosing or anybody coming to that conclusion is a turncoat, I just find to be so emblematic of what is so disappointing about our politics in this time is that everything is about simple partisanship and nothing more. And the second thing is, because I've, I've heard this a couple times tonight, the idea that impeachment is overturning 63 million votes or whatever. Well, in a sense, of course it is. You have to be elected before you could possibly be impeached. So any impeachment, no matter if it was for what Trump did with Ukraine, what Bill Clinton did, or any of the dozens of things that I probably would have seen fit to impeach Barack Obama or George W. Bush or even Ronald Reagan over, no matter how egregious it is, of course you're overturning those votes. I just find this to be such a non-starter as an argument. It's a necessary condition. Well, is it? Is back. it? Let me just ask one quick follow-up, and then I'm going to go to Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Is it the the fact that we're within one year mm-hmm. of when the voters will vote again? Does that have any? Is that a mitigating factor in any way to you? No, I, I think I think that's probably the reason why, if I were serving in the Senate, that I would not vote to remove him. I think don't think also if I'd been in the House, I would not have voted to impeach him, although I think these charges are impeachable. We're a year away from an election. Let the public have their voice. Let them decide if they want Donald Trump to continue to be president of the United States. Stephanie. Well, it's it's unrealistic to think that the senators have no opinion already. They're insiders. They know so much more than we do. And to think, unless they were in a box somewhere and they, they're unaware completely of all the details and everything we've been hearing, of course, it, to me, anyone that doesn't support our president at this point, any senator, we know that it's all about him being held to a higher standard or closer scrutiny. No president could withstand the kind of sifting that Donald J. Trump is getting for everything he does. None of the presidents, all of them would have been impeached. So suddenly this guy from nowhere, he's got the Democrats against him. He's got the never Trump rhinos against him. He's got the media against him. And he's still getting it done. And when you go back to your district and you're going to you're going to impeach the guy that's giving you jobs, lowest black unemployment numbers. And as a person that life is so important to me, the justice that he's appointing. He's getting it done. Don't listen to what he's saying. Listen, watch what he's doing. So you're going to go back to your town and look at those seven people on the stage. Not one of them is going to put me first before illegals, before any, everybody else are going to take away our jobs, roll back the tax cuts. So he is the, the true only choice. If you want to put America first, and, and voting to impeach him, that is a turn. That's co- a compelling co- argument a for those senators and their individual capacity to vote for him as president, but it's not the responsibility as jurors within the Senate trial of impeachment. It's just... It, so it suddenly just, we just have a isn't. different the only, set of standards under the this only president. Thing yeah. I, I we can talk about, about different sets yeah. of standards and yeah. all of that, but they have a responsibility in terms of the context of impeachment, of their role there, to do something, to serve it out honestly and with due diligence. And due you're diligence. saying that anyone so who votes against them is a turncoat so is not is, it. The reality, though, Eric, is that <clears throat> no one's really living up to that standard. Because, again, when I hear, you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, uh, you know, Cory Booker or, 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 or any, any Democrat, that, that, that their mind is open on this issue? Do you think Chuck Schumer's I, mind no, I is agree open? With you. No. I agree with you entirely on that. But it's like, but, but what you're supposed to do there is you're supposed to say to all of them that they are not living up to that standard, not say that the standard shouldn't exist. I, oh, I agree with I that. Just, right. I just, I, I, I completely agree with Eric that, you know, they have a duty as senators to put their 
personal political ambitions to the side. Now, <laughs> have they done it? Absolutely not. Um, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point that he's making is that what their responsibility is versus what their intentions are and how they plan on moving forward are two totally different things mm-hmm. diverging in opposite, completely opposite directions. But what I do think is important, which is the point that I was starting with before the break, was that, uh, yes, 63 million people did vote for Donald Trump. 65 million people did vote against Donald Trump for or Hillary Clinton. Now, the difference is that for senators who are up for re-election... They will have to go. They will have to go back to these states where Donald Trump may not have won the popular vote, may not have won their states, and have to explain what they're doing. And I think, regardless if they're turncoats or not, they will be judged by the standard of were you impartial when you walked in that room, and did mm-hmm. you at least present yourself as being willing to be open to a discussion? And if you were one of those Cory Booker's who are like, "I'm going to impeach it as soon as no you get there," right. you're not making that case, and that just proves to that 80 percent of the American population, which I started off with, that all of this has just been a political ruse to get to the extremes, mm-hmm. to make our points, to play bitter politics without focusing on anything that matters. But to if, the people but if should, you are from a country. state that Donald Trump won, uh, then you have to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. Got to make a decision. But most of the Democrats, most of the Democrats come from states that Hillary Clinton won. They the had to make a decision too. Okay. So they have to, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's they senators have to put their from Wisconsin. Country it's, first. It's, it's Tammy Baldwin's got to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, no, Amy Klobuchar doesn't, but the, the well, senators from Michigan, senators from Ohio, they have to make that decision. Yeah, they Jared have, Brown has to make that decision. You have 100 people in a room who have to put the country's interests first well, for once. Keep one thing in mind. Uh, I accept that any juror should be uh, impartial and open to all the information. But that assumes, like, if I go to jury duty in uh, 26th in California, I have no idea what the case is going to be. I know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. These people, these senators, have known everything from the day the entire process started. They have read, I assume, these 400-page reports. They have watched television. They oh, no. have all the evidence <laughs> they need. So the fact that 400 they— 400-page report? Yeah, they have no way senators Senator have read that. Senator should have read it, but the staff may have read it. I don't believe that. staff may I know members of the city council don't read 10 but, pages, let alone a senator oh, reading 400. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is then they, that you're going to expect them to have no preconceptions coming into the Senate. This is a preposterous so this is thing. A, this is they my already point. have the information. This is my Eric. point about witnesses and due diligence. And the idea that it's rejecting calling witnesses out of hand is not participating in due diligence. That's my point. Well, I know as senators, their responsibility to America, but all politics are local. They've wasted two and a half years trying to prove to this guy that they've labeled unfit from day one, trying to trip him up, trying to get him out of office. And when you go to a state like California, you look at the demographics, how many people are leaving, like here in deep blue Illinois, where people can't get out of here fast enough. I bet the constituents in um, Kamala and Nancy and and, um, Shifty Shift, I bet you they want to get the human debris off the streets of L.A. and California. They're, They're worried about the high cost of living there the same way in illinois i would love what have they done for the people and the, where they're trying to prove that this guy was just not worthy how dare he came in and drank their out responsibility of the bowl, is not they, to state policy their responsibility but, but is saying, to national policy and this is their duty now but, but they're so that's it just trying to undo a, an election instead of focusing on it's not about undoing an election people. it's about whether or not he should be removed for office for, for what he was impeached for did, that he, viol- is the did he violate not his whether oath. or not he's a good president what, what, or an economic or anything what did he do again this is a we, of if he violated 
Yes, we do. Did he violate his oath of office? And you have managers who will make that decision. High crimes and misdemeanors, I thought. Got a pause. 1-800-723-8289. We've got callers. We'll bring them into the conversation when we return. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. Bruce Dubot back in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. And let's go to uh, Tom listening to us in uh, Sharon, Pennsylvania on WPIC. Go ahead, Keystone State. Merry Christmas and happy Merry Christmas to you, sir. Uh, You know, Bruce, I I find it amazing, and and it's too mild to call hypocrisy, that first of all, um, the two charges they got with uh, uh, Trump were obstruction of uh, Congress and abuse of power, and the way they got them was by the uh, Democrats abusing their power in the House with a one-sided uh, process. And the right now, Nancy Pelosi is obstructing uh, Congress, if there is such a term, by not turning over to the Senate the the uh, papers necessary to continue with the process and also the fact that if you take a look at what trump is being charged with compared to the previous administration where obama not only uh... had fast and furious where uh, guns went to drug dealers including el chapa uh... they they found the guns in his possession that came from that situation uh... open borders and just a couple days ago they had a raid just on Long Island, New York alone, where they rounded up something like 96 MS-13 members. Um, he turned over, through his rules of engagement, he turned over uh, Iran uh, to Iran, Iraq, uh, and also Iran got uh, a situation of $1.5 billion. Right. So your point that there's, there's, there was no impeachment there, and if there was no impeachment there, this thing is even more bogus than most people think. By comparison. Yeah. Okay, let's let, uh, I'll let Eric respond to that. I agree in some sense that it's a political question, a question of political will. I don't think we've really ever lacked for things that we could possibly impeach presidents for. The last time I was on this program, I put a question directly to one of the guests that, so you have Obama who had gone around the country saying, I can't do DAPA and DACA Mm -hmm. by executive fiat because it would be unconstitutional. And then he turns around, violates his oath of office and does them by executive fiat. That is impeachable. George W. Bush signed uh, campaign finance reform and while doing it said, 
I believe part of this is unconstitutional. He signed it anyway. That's a violation of his office. I believe that that is also impeachable. Under, uh, unsanctioned drone strikes to me are impeachable. The invasion of Libya is impeachable. It's a question of political will. The Democrats got rather in front of a train of their base, and from the beginning, their base wanted them to get rid of Donald Trump. And I, to the point that I've made before, that you know I, I would probably not have voted. Uh, certainly, if I were in the Senate, I would not vote to remove him. Um, this was not the right political case to make. But that's not to say that we shouldn't evaluate, at least on the individual charge. It'd just be great if we could acknowledge that what Trump did was not good and not appropriate and not something he could do. And if the man had any sense of shame, we could probably have gotten by with a censure, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have a sense of shame. Would you ask our our Republican... Tom, thanks for calling. We're going to move on. Uh, Would you acknowledge that in this particular case, it was the people that got fed up with Donald Trump. They were fed up with Donald Trump on the day he got elected. And in this particular case, it was the people pushing the politicians, no. not the politicians bringing people, the people do you together. mean the base of the, the Democrats? The, yeah, the, the, the base. Or, or those okay. that were riled up. Is this not a case where people it were was, riled up, they were mad as hell, they they you know they 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 wouldn't acknowledge that Hillary Clinton screwed up a campaign. Yeah. They just hated Donald Trump, but they put the pressure on the politicians. It wasn't the other way around. In, in 18 they they elected several politicians including including AOC, whom I've kidded at work many times who is the speaker of the house. She is the most quoted, the most twittered and so forth. And I swear that she is the one that's the old expression of, of the tail wagging the dog. I think in some sense it is the people, but it is such a very small group of people. It is the far – I always make a distinction, which many people on the right do, between a leftist and a liberal. I have no problem with liberals. I'm surrounded by liberals at universities. What bothers me are leftists, and those are the ones who want to move towards socialism and, and control of my life and, and everything anti-libertarian. Stephanie, would you agree that, it is the, that this is it, it's people more than politicians? I think it's 50-50. I think about that night when she lost. They had been told all along, there's no way this guy is going to win. She's the seasoned professional. She's got this in the bag. Right. And just the look when they panned the room and how upset they were, and the fact that she didn't have... The, the character to come out and address that crowd still just in denial about the fact that she's looking for a way to get out of this. He's someone no one sent. The, the professional Republicans, the f- professional Democrats, nobody liked him. And this guy, who we knew who he was, unlike Obama, who we knew nothing about, we knew everything about Donald Trump. October surprise, um, the conversation on the bus, and people still voted for him because they're sick of being with these polite dim, uh, professional p- politicians that tell you we won't raise your health care, you can keep your doctors lying to us repeatedly. And Donald Trump was speaking to the everyday man because I hear too much. Oh, he's too rich to relate to you. That's what I heard about Mitt Romney. Donald Trump can relate to everybody. He's he's a, a person that, I mean, again, you know what you're getting. And people made a clear choice. Ray, what do you think? As a politician looking across the aisle, <laughs> would you acknowledge that Donald Trump is a brilliant politician? I don't know if I'd say he's a brilliant politician. I'd say he's a brilliant public speaker who knows how to dominate and build off the, the fears and emotions of his audience. I think that's 100%. Fears? What fears? Well, there are plenty of fears. I mean, I've heard it from 
No offense, Stephanie. I heard it from you tonight talking about a homeless people as human debris or undocumented. No, 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 no. She was no. I said debris. there's home, human debris on the streets of L.A. and San Francisco. No, no. She's well, talking about the debris. That they're leaving the, behind. Yes. That they're actually from well, it. I've I heard that, no, too. No, 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 that's no, correct. No, no. I'm not calling homeless people debris. I don't even think I mentioned homeless people. It is illegal. I mean, there, well, are, there are a lot of things that people uh, have anxiety and consternation about, and he's been able to dominate his base, his conversation, and I'll stoke a lot of the fears and anger and animosity people have on these issues. Isn't that, get what, him to isn't that what both sides do? do of course right, exactly. they do. Isn't, they, isn't that how any politician gathers his or her base? And, and you have to By admit, speaking to something in that base you have that riles to, them you up. You have to speak to what motivates people. And you can either choose to motivate people with things that are positive, mm-hmm. or you can vote and motivate people with things that are negative. And mm. predominantly what he's been motivating people on is the negative nope. base. It's put America first. Put America first. So is if if he believes as many of that sixty three million people believe that building a wall between yes. the United States and Mexico mm-hmm would make it less likely that people from Mexico would sneak into the United States illegally. Uh, is that wrong? Is that, is that faulty thinking on his part? Is that, is that pandering to hatred, or is it f- favoring those that want laws of the United States enforced? No one's it's, about it, the it, law. It's pandering to hatred, um, because it's, you're not answering the issues well, I, about I undocumented. Go. You're not answering issues about... The true nature of illegal immigration, as you would call it, because a vast majority of the people who come here and overstay their visas are here without okay. documentation are not from Mexico. They are usually from Europe or from Asia right. because let's, they are students. Let's apply it all. Let's no it wall all is going to stop an airplane from getting into this country. No tunnel is going to stop anyone from trying to get here, as we've seen. And actually, in recent months, we've seen people making it a joke out of climbing over this wall no, for no. sport. But okay. And what we've seen mm. is a great diversion of national resources that are not going to address the true issue, which is uh, immigration and immigration reform, which even myself would support, um, while at the same time diverting all of our attention from the real issue, just to make a point. Well, Stephanie. I don't know who else around this table has been to the border. I went to McAllen, Texas. And as a descendant of African-Americans, as they love to call us, that helped build this country, my legacy is the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment that's guaranteed to me as as the result of my ancestors being brought here. So to try to give away my legacy, my inheritance to someone that breaks the law to come here, I sat in the living room of people that grew up on the border, Mexican-Americans. Their kids can't go outside and play anymore. They're my age, and they remember sleeping with their windows open, catching a breeze. They can't do that anymore. They have guns underneath their beds. And, and and, and when it gets dark, illegals start knocking on their door. They're right on the border. They're living the dream that, that I'm sorry, they, they love the American dream. They, they've three, four, five generations of living on the border in ranches. And now no one in CNN is now telling their story, MSNBC, but I sat in their living room. So I want a wall built because that's going to be the first way, the first line of defense to keep a lot of the drugs pouring over. We don't talk about the sex trade that's going on at the border and the coyotes and what's happening. I visited and saw trees with underwear hanging as a sign when a kid gets raped, a girl gets raped, is hanging on a tree. I was there. So I get upset as a black woman. And I'm looking at where I grew up on 26th and Pulaski, and there's not a grocery store. There's nothing but in a Hispanic neighborhood where I went to my first um, elementary school, thriving. 
grocery stores, dentists, not an empty, vacant lot in spot in nowhere. But our stores have been boarded up so long on 22nd Street on Pulaski that it's rusted out. And what so exactly the, has your president done to help involve Well, you know, what can he do in, in Deep Blue, Illinois? He's doing what he's building that wall. That's what he's getting done. What does that wall have to do with building investment on 26th and Pulaski? Well, you know what? All politics are local. Democrats no, have no, been no, running no, Chicago no, no, since no, no, the 30s. I mean, so you what br- they, you they brought forget up, about Lawndale. That, that wall is going to help it is, the investment. It is. How is that going to help the it's West Side? Help it will not help the West Side. Do you know there are factories where out of 600 people, uh, um, 90% of them are illegals because they skirt that whole thing with E-Verify. And, and, and so you know who does they're that? Taking good the jobs Republican away owners from, of those companies. No, How, Republican you know, owners. Because Democrats time I was don't on own here, companies. The first really? time I was on here, we talked about the need for E-Verify. Okay. Yeah, we should. Let's all way. support that. We've all I said that. I think I want to get, let's do E-Verify. Because the ones you usually get taken advantage of are not the individual workers. It's the companies that are taking advantage of everybody whether gotta, they are citizens or not, so that they can maximize their profits well, and use an illegal workforce. Okay, Trump to wants to build a wall, out. put Americans first. It will help African Americans, and I don't even know why I'm wall. using that term. Black, they will help Black Americans because we're the ones who verify. E verify would help, and again, uh, you know, many Republicans in Congress have not supported, it, and Rhinos. many Democrats. I agree. You're also going to keep in mind we are the sole country in the world that has on our border a country as poor as Mexico is relative to how rich we are. Yeah. Most countries in the world are surrounded by countries which are very similar, like mm-hmm. us in Canada. That's why there's no problem. Back shortly, 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, go ahead. It's beyondthebeltway.com. Easy to remember. I'm Bruce Dumont. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's E-Verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Our telephone number is 1-800-723-8289. Our new email is beyondthebeltway at gmail.com. Not just .com, (laughs) gmail. Uh, The tweet is at dumo at D-U-M-O. Again, the website beyondthebeltway.com. If you ever miss a show, it's always there. It goes uh, for many, many years. And again, we're live on YouTube and live on Facebook. And again, a reminder that if you'd like to support this program, you can go to our GoFundMe page. And again, you can look at the donations that are coming in. And again, we want to get over over $3,000 away from our goal. Again, GoFundMe.com. We'd like to get that done uh, in this holiday season. So we do appreciate it. And those that have contributed, we thank you very much. Let's go to Joy listening to us in Spokane, Washington on KXLY. Go ahead, Joy. Hi. 
Um, you know, I'm not sure where I fall now as a liberal or a uh, leftist. It seems like it's a shifting line there, mm-hmm. but I'm a lifelong Democrat. And what disturbed me in particular about um, the hearings and such was that on the Republican side, how they made it such a mockery and calling it a sham. And, and I think for those of us who um, dislike Donald Trump for different reasons, um, I think that there are many serious reasons. And so that was really, really disappointing to me. I look at him and I see his three years, and I disagree with his policies, of course. I believe in environmental protections, things like that. But I also see the way he does, it conducts himself. It's transactional. It's very independent. And I find that in particular for international policy, it is dangerous. And I think Ukraine only touches the tip of that. He is going in, and you can't say he fights corruption. Out of the Mueller report, look at the people surrounding him in his campaign and in his businesses. They're all corrupt. And so he has gone in there with Rudy and others, and he's done it on a very individual basis, very transactional. Ask Mrs. Dingle. She voted for impeachment, and so he completely just treats her terribly. And that is dangerous. Who knows what agreement he made with the Turkey president so he could go in and go after the Kurds. We do not know what this man is doing. It's dangerous. He's trying to rid the agencies of all the people who are experienced. It's not a deep state. There's people who have there been with Republican presidents for years. This is a man who is a danger to our country. And to mock and make a sham of what the Democrats are looking at, I just find very disappointing and very shameful for those right. in Congress who are doing it. Joy, let's let Stephanie respond. Uh, Stephanie, go ahead. Well, my favorite line is that beating Hillary isn't an impeachable offense. It, 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 I've never seen people not be, you know, we teach our kids, you lose gracefully. But that's not, I'm saying I'm not like that, and there's a lot of people who are not like that. We're looking at what he's doing in the office now, and, and no matter who he beats. Okay, well, you know, initially Trump ran on a lot of sizzle. Now, three years later, he's running on his actual record and what he's getting done. And it's a little hard to to, uh, debate about how well the economy is doing. It's a little hard to talk about the fact that the lowest unemployment for not only uh, black Americans, for Hispanic Americans as well. People are living well, even though those seven people on the stage were trying to convince us that things aren't going that great. Regular Americans, middle Americans, we know what Trump is keeping promises that a lot of politicians don't. And he may have made the mistake of surrounding himself with people that were less than credible, but I don't think anybody's cabinet, no, no one's cabinet could, could withstand the scrutiny that they that his cabinet was put through, but at the same time, he's got Mike Pence, and, and, and I don't know if a lot of these Democrats understand, if they somehow by a miracle remove this man for office as a Christian conservative, if I wake up one morning and I get to say President Mike Pence, hello, I'm like, that would just be Christmas, Super Bowl, and Oscars all in one for me. But that's not going to happen. He's going to, uh, this won't, he won't be removed, and he will win in 2020. All right, let's let, uh, Joy, back to you for one word, and then we're going to go to Eric. Go ahead. I, why does it have to be the economy? Why is the only answer the economy? This is a man who is selling our country internationally. This is a man who is destroying our environmental protections. He's putting children on cages. He is, he is dividing the country because he is hateful. He talks to people in a hateful way. The NFL, I mean, it just, it does not have to be that the economy trumps 
so to speak, everything. I, I, it just infuriates me that we answer in dollars and cents when this man is an embarrassment and dangerous to our country. Joy, stand by Eric. So a lot of what Joy is articulating, I think, are policy disagreements, which coming back to what I had said earlier about the process of impeachment, this is, these are mostly questions that should be <clears throat> left to the voters to decide in 2020. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that um, we were talking about wishing that Trump and other people could take this more seriously. Um, during the process of voting on the articles of impeachment, Representative Loudermilk, and there's a name if I ever heard one, uh, compared the Congress to Pontius Pilate and Trump himself to Jesus, oh which boy. is the, this escalation of idiotic rhetoric has just got to stop. It, I wish we had people trying to take this at least a little more seriously than making comparisons like that. And I will fully acknowledge that there were many idiotic things right. said during the Clinton impeachment as well. Again, the stand, the fact that both sides have done it badly does not mean the standard should no longer exist. And also, by the way, uh, I think uh, one of the low points points of, of the hearings is when Adam Schiff, the chairman, made up an imaginary phone conversation that was started out. I mean, and then that, he stayed that, that, that in took the, the whole thing and, and just made it ludicrous. It's, that's where Joy started on the question of fairness. And what the Democrats did, I, 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 I was hoping for fairness as well, but they would always uh, say things are out of order. That's irrelevant. You don't get to pick any, anybody who's going to testify. There was no fairness in any of that. It was like a grand jury in that there was no representation of the person you're accusing. Joy, we're going to move on. Thanks for your call. Let's go to uh, Kathy listening to us on WOKI in Tennessee. Go ahead. Hello, are you there? Kathy, are you there? Go ahead. Hello, are you there? Jeff in Austin, Texas on line six. Are you there? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Hello. Yeah, I just, uh, every call that I've heard complain about Trump, you can hear it in their voice. They're just angry at the man. I have not heard one fact yet. I've heard all this stuff about we're dividing country, rolling back regulations, but there's no specific details. It's more a feeling, and I think that's greatly because of the narrative that's been played across Dems the last two, three, four years. And I agree the man is an awful human being. But he's a pretty damn good president, in my opinion. <laughs> okay, but that sets the bar really high. <laughs> okay, but let me ask you this question, okay? You just said he's a horrible human being. Are you, and you, and you support the guy, are you worried, are you worried that his inability to change that image in any way, even slightly, could lead to his defeat because of the small number of people in about five states that are likely to determine this future president. I think absolutely it could be. I think it's, that he's it's his own scared worst as hell. Enemy. If he, yeah, if he, he's his own worst enemy. If he would just govern and not tweet, he'd be one of our best presidents, I think. But he says very dividing things. He says he's a, when you attack him, he attacks anybody, racist or it doesn't matter what it is. He's very narcissistic, and if you come at him, he's thin-skinned, he's going to come back at your heart. That's what I don't like about the man. Like, I'd rather my grandfather, you know, Christine vision of a grandfather be president. He's not. He's ruthless, he's a businessman, but I do think he's helping us somewhat. And Mike Miller. Yeah, looking at this uh, through the eyes of an economist, one thing that people attack Trump as doing is removing regulations, including uh, ones for the climate and so forth. What Trump has introduced... 
I think is very smart, and that's cost-benefit analysis. And that is the idea that any policy that you pass will have a cost and it will have a benefit. And all he's asking is that these policies go through this analysis. Many times, the only benefits are emotional, that you're going to feel good, but they're going to have very detrimental effects upon the economy, upon people, and so forth. And I know that he has reduced the number of regulations quite dramatically. A lot of this is purely done by, they have found that the regulation has done more harm than it has done good, so we should get rid of it. And that same thing for, I mean, Joy was so, I mean, she's very emotional about the climate things. Climate, when you take certain actions, if you're going to raise the cost of energy to poor people, you're going to ruin their lives. And you must take into account then that while there could be a negative effect, maybe we're going to go up one half of one degree in 100 years, the lives of people will be so dramatically better because of it. You have to weigh those two things before you can make a public policy. I I think it's hard to say that some of the uh, environmental and other policy issues that he's impacting are all based on cost-benefit when you have a cabinet filled with former corporation executives and lobbyists, and that you're downplaying the significance of things, particularly as it comes to uh, climate change and global warming, as we've seen, you know, climate refugees becoming more and more. And we're sitting in the city of Chicago three days before Christmas, and it's 51 degrees outside. It's called weather. weather. You know, I don't know the God that I serve that created this planet and the universe and everything. You think we can affect the weather? That, yes. that's, there's no such thing as man-made warming. You don't yes, have to go to can. college. You don't have he to be. Did. There's just no such thing. And there's no evidence. It's emotional. Everything that's green costs more money. And it, it, everybody's a victim. And there's a reason there's weather why victims now, impacting the environment has, there's a cause and an effect oh for gosh. everything that we so do. So if we can get China deaths, and India on board and send Greta over there and get Greta to get them to, to recycle with blue bags and drive tiny cars, because no matter what we Check do, Trump China and India, are they, they, they have the biggest filter. population. We need them to, 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 to hop on board. We talked quickly, I'll go quickly here, about Joy and how animated she is. What Mike pointed out that reminded me is that so much of the policy outcome of the Trump administration, by and large, has been rather kind of replacement-level Republican administration. What people are wound up about is character questions, and that is what I think is really animating a lot of it. It's why I think Trumpism is best understood as a psychographic phenomenon Mm -hmm. uh, rather than a set of policy preferences. Yeah. Okay. Well said. Mm-hmm. Very well said. We'll put that on the. We'll save that for the show. <laughs> that should be a we're T-shirt. Doing show. <laughs> that was live. Shortly. <laughs> a new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson Five: Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cyndi Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. You know, we got to go back after that horrible climate. 
Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. There was a debate this past week in Los Angeles. The Democrats got together. It was on PBS, and uh, Judy Woodruff was the moderator. I think it was the best, the liveliest of the debates. Uh, but uh, there was a uh, several uh, dust-ups between some of the key candidates, and uh, most of the publicity that came after the event in the spin room was about the battle between uh, Pete Buttigieg, who's doing very well in Iowa and New Hampshire, and uh, Elizabeth Warren, and she decided to uh, take him down a peg by talking about some recent fundraising the mayor of South Bend has been involved in in wine cages in Northern California. It went like this. The mayor just recently had a fundraiser that was held in a wine cave full of crystals and served $900 a bottle wine. I am the literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. So if this is important, this is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. So while you can dismiss committee hearings, I think this experience works. And I have not denigrated your experience as a local official. I have been one. You actually did denigrate my experience, Senator. And it was before the break, and I was going to let it go because we got bigger fish to fry here. But you implied that I don't think we have bigger fish to fry than picking a president of the United States. (laughs) Okay. Mm. Uh, Amy Klobuchar's best debate? Yes, for sure. Does everybody agree with that? It was her best debate? And I'll say Pete in Low 10 bar, years. but yes. Low bar, but yes. And does Pete everybody also years. agree, even though the publicity, uh, all the post-debate uh, analysis was about uh, those those issues, uh, the winner turned out to be, uh, or really, was Joe Biden because he he's the him. leader he and he's and still <laughs> the leader, even though he's not leading in Iowa. That's right. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's above the fray. This is interesting to me because it seems like, as I kind of wondered when we saw all of these Democrats getting into the primary, as we had 16 Republicans uh, four years ago, um, there's this weird thing where you have a front runner and you have somebody who's leading. And the Republican strategy was always like, I'm going to take out the number two guy and then I'm going to be the guy to go one on one with Trump rather than going after the guy in first place. And now you seem to have that going on in this debate that they're not really going after Joe Biden anymore. They're taking on each other. And I don't know how much that's really going to better us. Well, she's no longer. Kamala, Kamala she's not there Harris, anymore. She, she did go and, after and maybe that's why she's she, not there. Basically, she went after uh, Joe, Joe Biden. Away. Yes. Some and people say too Tulsi soon. Tulsi Gabbard, right. Gabbard, she went after... Oh. Uh, My favorite uh, moment of the debates this oh, that year was, was that. Is, that was uh, is Tulsi Gabbard utterly destroying Kamala Harris over her absolutely ghastly record in California. And was she wasn't there. So, okay, so, so we have this, the, the, these, this, this tribalism that's going on in the Democratic Party. Uh, But Joe Biden seems to be above it. But the other point that I would make is that Bernie Sanders, although to to a professional person who watches politics all the time, you know, I I hear him going into the same old script. It's Bernie's script. He's going to hit it again and again and again. But I remember that, you know, a lot of people don't listen to Bernie Sanders as much as I do. And the point is he is making, I think, strong points. I think there's a lot of people at home saying, yes, you may disagree with the politics, but insofar as marketing his position, he does it very well. And, and the fact that he is still, he, he is emerging now, or he is somewhat, I don't want to say surging, but he's moving past Elizabeth Warren. A couple of weeks ago, you know, when Elizabeth Warren got to specifics, her campaign started to, yeah. to go in the opposite direction. You know, I think what you're seeing is uh, Democratic cam- cannibalism. Once again, yes. Um, and what we're going to see 
the end result being is same like we've seen with Hillary and Bernie in 2016, where you have your single issue, single candidate voters who are not going to be able to make the switch to support whoever the eventual nominee is because of all the bitter and bitterness and rancor that's been going on. But it's more than and, bitter. It's also how far to the left they're going. Right. And, and, that, and that's fine in the primaries. They are going to pay a price. No, in the general right. it's actually very dangerous for they're Democrats. Right. It's, it's um, trying to out-socialist out each other. Right. Well, they're all trying to leapfrog. Who's going to give more free stuff away? Leapfrog yeah. over the left, but they're also putting each other at a significant disadvantage because by the time they walk that plank out into the left, you're going to have more centrist Democrats like myself who are going to be looking at them like, wow, this is what but we you have. all the way out here now. I would. That, will, that is not going to change. It's, it's going the, back to your 63 million over. voters for Trump, they are already in lockstep. Yeah, no matter. Right. We've already discussed that at nauseum. Mm-hmm. They're already in lockstep with that man mm-hmm. come November. Isn't there, the 65 million is going to be so splintered. But Ray, why, or I guess the question, do you believe that as a result of the tribalism, as a bill, as a, as as a result of let's say the Hillary candidate or the most centrist, like a Joe Biden, emerging, you're going to have the same uh, sour grapes, sore feelings amongst the also rans, and their supporters are going to stay home, just like a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters stayed home. Because I, I, I think yep. the, the, I'm the, firmly the, the concerned two closest about that. candidates yes. that I think last time. may have yeah. the same. In some cases, the same voter. It's Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Because a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, they voted for Donald Trump. And I think in many cases, that might be the difference. Well, I think well, if you, I, 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 I almost heard up your pin drop. Everybody wants to say Because of not only what, I mean, they're the bomb throwers. Yeah. Uh, what I think Trump is, is less of a bomb thrower now than he some was of their policies a couple of years ago. When it comes to trade and right, so right. forth. So mm-hmm. two, two thoughts. One, um, I will warn against what I'm about to do, which is bringing British politics and interpreting Uh-oh. it here. But we, we fought um, a war. You know, the to, Jer- to, to Jeremy fifteen seconds to do it. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I would be careful of the Democrats about following a cranky so, uh, old socialist into homes. battle because it didn't work out well with Jeremy Corbyn, oh and I will just leave it there. Oh, okay. Eric Cohen has been with us from WIND Radio, Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward Democratic Ward Committee, and thank you very much. Mike Miller, the uh, distinguished professor for the last 38 years of economics, uh, economics at DePaul University, and Stephanie Trestle, talk show host, first maiden voyage. Nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, Pleasure. Stephanie, let's do this again. Please. Our thanks to uh, Fritz Goldman, who's been directing this show for many, many years, and also our new producer, uh, Andrew Marshall, we thank him, and also Hector Pacheco. He has been Pacheco, that's Pacheco, that's the conventional spelling of Pacheco, we thank him very much. He is our engineer this evening. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, Have yourself a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah to those who uh, are of the Jewish face. We thank you very much. Until next week. This is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. 
Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light. Noise and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 